Well, it's good to be back with you. Appreciate you being here, especially if you're visiting. I would like to make mention, I uh, meant to uh, tell Ron this. Christy had just sent me a text and said that Wade's uncle, uh, Morgan Gentry, passed this uh, Saturday, and uh, his funeral will be in uh, Albertville, I think if I read my writing correctly, Albertville, Alabama, and he was 93 years old. So if you'd keep that family in your prayers, they would certainly appreciate that. I tell you, I'm with Ron. We had such a wonderful time last night, and uh, you know, several of us asked Margaret, can we bring something? And so she stopped by my office, and she stuck her head in there. She said, now remember, you don't bring a thing. I said, Margaret, I wouldn't cross you for anything in this world. If you say don't bring anything, I'm not going to do it. And uh, I warned Clay, I said, don't tell these ladies to bring anything. I said, you'll be going back home with us in Chattanooga, and she'll be staying up there. We had a wonderful 4th of July celebration. I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. The title of this lesson is The Land of the Free. The Land of the Free. On July the 2nd, 1776, the 13 American colonies legally separated from England. However, it was not until July the 4th that the Declaration of Independence was signed and went into effect, giving birth to a brand new nation, what we know as the United States of America. The 4th of July is a national holiday for our nation has been celebrated since the original signers put their names on that document. Each year, people all over the country, they prepare for and they participate in celebration of our anniversary, our birth date, so to speak. We all know what happens. Government offices close. Politicians make speeches. Decorations are uh, displayed. Patriotic, patriotic songs are sung. And of course, we can see those fireworks far and wide. But have you ever asked yourself the question, why? Why does a nation that is 200 and something years old, really relatively young in, the, in contrast with nations of the history, but still 200 and something years old, why do we as a people go to so much trouble to celebrate the birth of a nation? Well, there are a whole lot of countries in the world that do not enjoy the freedoms which we enjoy in this country. We, uh, as a people of the United States, have the freedoms to come and go as we want to. We're able to do things that we want to. We're able to congregate as a religious organization to the world, the Lord's Church, to us. And we're able not to be worried with outside interference to that. And so that's just a few things, right, that we're able to do. You know, each year about 2 million people leave their homelands and they travel to this country. There are over 41 million immigrants in this nation, uh, many of them illegal immigrants, but still nonetheless we have people coming and, and leaving their homeland, journeying to this land and in many cases putting their life and safety at risk to come. But why would they do that? Because it's important to them to gain independence in life, to get a better life, right? Now this isn't a political speech, and I don't agree with illegal immigration. We're just making the point that people come into this nation, right? As great as that type of independence is, though, there's a greater independence. There's an independence from Satan and sin, and, and it's, it's spiritual 
independence. And that's a wonderful independence, far greater than any other type of an independence we can have in this nation. Would it be terrible to live in a country where the laws are so oppressive that people have to cover their faces and their bodies so they cannot be seen? Isn't it terrible to live in a nation where you cannot speak of God in any way? That would be terrible. That happens in this world. It doesn't happen in our nation though, does it? We sing a song as a nation called the Star-Spangled Banner. Most of us know this, uh, this song in the first verse of it for the most part. Let me read it to you. Oh say can we see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we held at the twilight's last gleaming. Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight or the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming. And the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? Let me tell you, I love that song. I love that song. I love being a citizen of the United States. I'm very patriotic. I have a flag flying on the front of my home in demonstration of my patriotic uh, desire to be a part of this nation. And we've been blessed and are blessed to live here. But sometimes I think we get caught up a little too much in that. As much as I love this nation, and I love it, I don't like the things that we're doing in a lot of areas, but I love this nation. But even though I love it, I think that as a people, and I include myself, I get a little caught up in that. Abraham lived in a pretty nice place himself. The Ur of the Chaldees, it was an advanced society. They had, uh, archaeologists have discovered uh, a writing system that they had. They had mathematics. They had even indoor plumbing. They used cisterns and they would sit it upon their houses and they would allow gravity to bring water into their homes. Pretty nice place. When we think of Abraham... We always, or at least I do, think of him living in a tent. Not always been the case in his life, right? But Abraham was looking for a land or a place, the land of the free, but it wasn't going to be found in this world, was it? But he was searching for that. He was simply a stranger in this world. He was a pilgrim, a sojourner, someone looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Isn't that something? How do we get to the land of the free? I want to go there. I want to be with Abraham. After all, we read about the rich man and Lazarus and how Lazarus was in the bosom of Abraham. Hey, he made it. He found the land of the free. I think about that and it just engulfs me that we can be with him. How do we get to the land of the free? Before we can get anywhere, we have to first, and this is our first point, aspire to go somewhere. Well, what does that mean? Well, we have to have a goal in mind, right? When we travel somewhere, we have to have a goal in mind. I was in Crossville, Tennessee on Saturday, and I was going south on Highway 127, headed to the Brown family home, and I hadn't been there in some time, but I had a goal of reaching that place, and I passed up the road at least three times. And finally I saw the sign and, and I recognized the name and I pulled in there and look what I found. I found a place that was full of brethren. 
Isn't that similar to what we're looking for in the next life? Think about that. As much fun as we had Saturday night and as much as as we enjoyed each other's company, are we on a road looking for a place that when we get there, we're going to be full of the faithful? Can't get much better than that, can it? That has to be our goal. We have to aspire to that. Like Abraham, our goal must to be must must be to have a better life. Isn't that what the colonists wanted? They wanted a better life. They wanted free of tyranny. Well, that's what we want. We want free of the tyranny of sin and Satan. We want a better life. We're looking for that land of the free. You know, and there there comes a point in everyone's life where we have to look at ourselves and we have to say, this isn't working. I need something better. I need the land of the free. I need to live a life that allows me to be what God wants me to be. Most of the people in the world today, do you realize they're living a life that really they don't look forward to living when they wake up in the morning? How sad is that? You know, I'm living a life physically in this world, why look, look forward to waking up in the morning? I am one of the blessed people of the world who is allowed to do something that they love to do for a living. Think about that. I look forward to that. I look forward to the, to the land of the free when, when we can wake up after we move from time into eternity and we can look at everyone around us and we can be in the bosom of Abraham and we'll see Lazarus. We'll see those of our loved ones who've gone on before and don't we want that so bad. We ought to, right? If we're going to aspire to attain a better life, we need to first understand, understand what is a better life, right? What kind of application? We, we do not need to read passages in the Bible and just repeat to others what that says, there has to be some kind of application, right? What does it matter that Abraham left Ur? What's that mean to me? I have to understand, of what does a a better life consist? When it comes to our physical lives, the people of this world, for the majority, and the vast majority, they believe a, a, a life consists of wealth, prosperity, pleasures of every kind, in popularity among peers. Well, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Most would agree that happiness and peace are things that bring about a better life, but they think that consists of what we just mentioned. Does money necessarily make us happy? Does popularity necessarily make us happy? Does pleasure necessarily make us happy for the long term? Well, no. It doesn't necessarily. Jesus corrected that misconception when He said this, Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. I want us all to have a wonderful life and to have the things of comfort of this life, but we need to think of them as something that God's blessed us with as we're on that road to the land of the free. Jesus told His disciples that it was through Him that they would gain this land of the free. That it was through Him that they would gain this peace and happiness that we agree we need in this life. Notice John 14, 27. 
Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He gave us peace, and Paul expressed that same sentiment, talking about the peace of God, and the peace of God which passeth all understanding, Philippians 4, 7. That peace, he goes on to say, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's the way we gain this peace, right? For a better life. Can a Christian have peace in this life, no matter the circumstances in which he or she lives? Certainly, certainly. Paul said, in whatever state I'm in, I've learned to be content. Well, think of some of the situations in which Paul found himself. Prison. He was led to his death as a martyr for Christ. He was stoned uh, and left for dead on one occasion. He was beaten with rods. He was shipwrecked. He was naked. He was hungry. He worried about the church. He was attacked by those inside and outside of the church. That doesn't sound very peaceful to me. But he had the peace that passes the understanding of the world. See, the world says our peace means that we've got a, a, a big wallet, we've got a nice home, we've got good cars to drive, and I wish we all had that, I do. And, and I'm not anti-material things. But we have to understand them in their proper place. Paul said, I can have peace though I have been beaten and left for dead. I can have peace. Why? What makes a life a better life? He knew that he would be in heaven one day if he remained faithful. That's what it does. Christ is the way to the land of the, th- of the free. Not material things. But we have to have a goal if we're going to aspire. But have you ever noticed in order to be successful in doing something, you have to have something else that you, kinda, you just kind of have to have it in you. Grit. Have you ever heard that term grit? A willingness to... Do what needs to be done. Grit. You have to have a goal, but you have to be willing to accomplish that goal. Grit, in this sense, means firmness of mind. Unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. When the American colonists chose independence from Britain, they expressed that determination, didn't they? Boy, they had the grit. They knew that many of them would lose their lives. That same grit and determination was exhibited in the life of Abraham. Now look, he left a place that was a nice place to live. Can you imagine his poor wife? She had comforts of a home in Ur, and then she started living in a tent. You remember when the visitors came to see Abraham? And he went and he made butter, and he got the calf. Hey, they didn't go to the refrigerator. They went out to the herd. They made butter. I can remember growing up, my grandmother taught me how to make butter. And I would sit there with a quart jar or half a gallon jar, uh, and I would shake that jar, shake that jar, shake it, shake it, and I'd say, Granny, that's been happening. She'd say, oh, yeah. See the butter forming on the sides? I said, little bitty pieces of butter. She said, keep shaking. You know, but it was worth it. She had grit. See, we don't think a lot about Sarah, do we? Christians today have to present those same qualities. If we want to make it to the land of the free, we've got to. We've got to do that. The enemies of God are greater in number. They outnumber us, brethren. 
They've got the numbers on us. But we have to have grit. We have to have a goal. Eight people survived the flood. 7,000 hadn't bent bent the knee to Baal. That's not very many. Today all we have to do is look around this world and what have the majority of the world done? They've forsaken God. They've turned their back on Him if they've ever known Him at all. They don't have any grit. They don't have any determination. That's why Christ said, Matthew 7, 13 and 14, He said, Enter ye in the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few be there that find it. That narrow path indicates a restricted path. Not an impossible path, but restricted. We have to restrict ourselves. Christianity is a lifestyle of self-control. Having a goal. Having the grit to attain that goal and aspiring all the time to get to the land of the free. Isn't that something we should always look at? We look around sometimes and we become a little discouraged though, don't we? We have to understand that's that happens. We look around and... We see someone, maybe we're striving to really do well, and we have something in our lives that keeps bothering us a little bit, and, and we have to overcome that. Guess what? That's all of us. And we keep fighting, and we keep fighting, but there's someone out there that claims to be a Christian, and maybe they're not living right, and we understand that. Is that discouraging? We're putting all this effort in, and they're, and they're not doing the things they ought to do. Well, you know what? That's their problem. If we can help them through that, let's do it, but let's never allow someone else's sin to steal our own joy of heaven. Don't be discouraged. When I, when I study with people and, and they are converted, I tell them, I say, look, you're becoming a member of a family. We just sang that song. You're becoming a member of the family of God and guess who makes up the family of God? People. There's something about people that we have to understand. We disappoint others at times, don't we? Sometimes we miss the mark. Sometimes we stumble and we fail to be who we need to be. I say, don't let those people discourage you because one day you'll be one of those people. And you'll need someone to reach down with a hand of understanding and help lift you up to continue to be what God wants you to be. That takes grit. We have to have that if we're going to reach our goal. But we have to do more than just aspire to the land of the free. We have to do something else. We have to accept to give up what we love in this life for what we love more. That's our second point. There comes a time in every battle when a decision must be made. If you're a lover of history like I am and you read about things that happened during World War II, there always comes a battle or World War I or, or things of that nature there always comes a time in battle where the, the commanding officers, the leaders of the force, they have to make a decision. We're either in or we're out. We either move ahead with the offensive or we retreat and we think about what we need to do next. That just makes sense, doesn't it? We have to do that. Up to the point the colonists had aspired to be free, they could have gone back and just been loyal servants and subjects of England. But see, they had to make a decision. They had to decide whether 
were not the goals that they aspired to attain and that they had accepted would be worth what was coming. When Abraham was first instructed to leave the home and land of his father, he had to make a decision. He could have said, Lord, I don't want to leave this place. It's pretty nice. My wife said she didn't really like the idea of leaving a comfortable home to live in a tent. You know, I really, I, I would like to raise my promised son here in, in Ur. You know, with all the best schools and the neighborhoods are pretty nice and we don't have to worry about marauding groups of bands of people that come through and want to steal our stuff or kidnap my, my nephew Lot and I really don't want to have to go to war and go rescue him and his family. That's just a lot of work. That's not what he did. He could have stayed there. Instead, the writer of Hebrews said he obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to read verses 8 through 16. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed and he went out not knowing whether he went. He just went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, that's tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky, and multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They wanted a land that was not in this world. For they that say much... Things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Think about that. When he left, he left. When he decided to be a, a, a follower of God, that's what he decided to be. He wasn't even mindful of that nation. Why? Because he might have returned to it. That's not what God wanted. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. We have to make a decision. Prior to going into the war, or going to war, Jesus talked a little bit about that, didn't He? He talked about those who intended to, to build a tower, those who intended to go into battle. He said they need, to, they need to sit down and count the costs. They need to understand what they're doing, right? Luke 14, 28-32. The individual must consider, is the result worth the effort? Do the ends justify the means? Because they don't always. But we need to look at that. We need to look at that when we, when we obey the gospel. We need to understand, that's what Jesus is talking about. Am I going to be able to dedicate myself? Am I, can I aspire to have something? Can I accept what it takes to get there? Can I do that? Can I make a decision to do that? Can I dedicate myself to doing that? That's what Jesus is talking about. When we read about Abraham, it doesn't appear to me that he had much difficulty in making his decision. He simply did what God asked him to do. 
You know, a vast majority of the colonists during the time of leading up to the Revolutionary War quickly decided the ends did justify the means. It was worth it. I'm thankful that they did. Now, we may have to give up some things in this life, that, that those things that are enjoyable. But, oh boy, they pale in comparison. I want to listen to the description that John gives of heaven. Open your Bibles to Revelation 21. Let's begin with verse 19. And let's listen to what we have to look forward to. We're looking for, for the land of the free. And this is a description of that land. John said, And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third a chalcedony, the fourth an emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth a chrysoprasus, the eleventh a jacinth, the twelfth an amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold as it was transparent glass. Building materials, precious stones. I don't think the most of us in this world, we want to gather up amethysts and we want to gather up sapphires and, and all of these uh, very expensive uh, jewels and build a home out of them, right? We normally get a small one and wear it on our finger or around our necks. We don't take gold and pave our driveways with it. We don't try to find a gigantic pearl and use it for a gate. See, have you ever heard someone talk about the pearly gates? The gates were of one pearl. You know how big a gate is and that one pearl was that big? It wasn't a gate made from pearls. It was one pearl, each gate. Oh, I look forward to that, don't you? See, the first Americans understood anything they endured to gain independence was going to be worth it. We need to say the same thing. We need to understand that we, not, we need to fight the good fight. That's what Paul said, 2 Timothy 4, 7. We need to wage a spiritual warfare to gain our independence. Ephesians 6, verse 12. But once we accept the goal, we decide, we make that decision, we need to be dedicated. When our young nation committed itself to independence and in the eyes of England, treason against that nation, there was no going back to being loyal subjects, were there? Hey, you wasn't going to go from being someone who commits treason to someone who's a loyal subject. Again, no, they put you to death. You don't, once you're a traitor, you're a traitor, right? When Benedict Arnold went back and he, he uh, began to work against the nation, hey, he left this country. He died in England, a poor man. He wasn't welcomed with open arms back into this nation. So we have to be understanding of that. When we accept that goal, we have to be dedicated. They, we need to press forward. Wasn't it Nathan Hell that said, I only regret that I have but one life to give for my country? Isn't it every Christian who ought, who ought to say, I regret that I only have one life to live that I can bring others to Christ? Don't I, I regret that I can only live a certain amount of years that I might be able to teach others and bring them into this land of the free so they can enjoy what we just read about in Revelation? Shouldn't we say that? Look, we're, we're seeking independence. We want a land of the free. We have to be dedicated. Christ, the greatest example of dedication we can find, Matthew 26, 39. Lord, I don't want to do it this way, but if there's no other way, let's do it this way. He loved us that much. 
Luke said that he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Luke 13.22 Guess what awaited him in Jerusalem? The nails of the cross. The whips of the scourging. The mocking of the people. But he kept going. Once we aspire to get to the land of the free, we have to accept the process by which takes us there. And then we have to abide. That's our third and final point. We have to abide in Christ. The War of 1812 is known as the Second War of Independence. Do you know that once the United States gained their independence, England didn't just say, all right, guys, good luck. Hope everything goes well. No, they wanted that nation back. See, those were, those were traitors in their eyes. So in 1812, they attacked this nation again and we fought them off. We had to watch for what was going on. They had to watch for their security. They had to be watchful that they didn't fall back into tyranny. That's what we have to do as Christians. We have to watch over our precious independence from sin and Satan. And let me tell you, it is precious. Peter said uh, Satan was like a roaring lion seeking whom he might devour, 1 Peter 5 eight. We have to be watchful. Didn't Christ admonish that? He said, watch therefore, Matthew 25.13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour when the Son of Man cometh. He might come at any moment. He may get here before we get finished. He may get here before we are able to celebrate officially our birth as a nation in three days. What a shame it would be to lose our citizenship because we were not watching over it. Instead of just sitting around, we've got to work for it, right? We've got to work for it. That's what watchfulness translates into. Working. Listen again to the words of Peter. 1 Peter 5, beginning with verse 8. <clears throat> he said, be sober, be vigilant. That means be watchful, be on guard. Because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect or complete, establish, strengthen, settle you. See, just like the colonists who resisted the tyranny of England, Abraham resisted the comforts of Ur. We're to resist the tyranny of Satan and the, the things that this world offers to us. Let's resist those things. Paul said we were to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. If we're working, by necessity we are watching and we're taking care. If we want to be able to reach the land of the free like Abraham did, and I know we do, we have to aspire, we have to accept, and we have to abide in Christ. There is no other way. There is no other way until we can cross the borders of the land of the free and inherit that land which flows with milk and honey. What a joy it will be to re be reunited with our loved ones who have gone on before. We've all lost family members that we want to see again. I know I have. That encourages me to aspire, to accept, and to abide in Christ Jesus. But we can't do that unless we're a member of His family. We sang that song. What a wonderful song to sing. 
part of God's family. How do we do that? Well, there's a process. Faith in Jesus, that He is who He said He was. Repentance of past sins. Confession that, that He is the Son of God. He came out of the grave. He died for us. Shed His own blood willingly upon the cross. Ascended back to the Father in heaven. Being immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. We have to understand the purpose of that. We're not saved prior to that. We're saved at that point. And we come up and we walk in a new life having come into contact with the blood of Jesus in that process, Romans 6, 3 and 4. Being baptized into Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. But then we have to be watchful. We have to be working. We have to abide in Christ and remain faithful. And we can do it. As wonderful as it was, when I drove up Clay's driveway and I saw all those people having such a wonderful time, can you imagine when we pass from this life into eternity, the glories of heaven? That's what we want. If you've never obeyed the gospel, do that tonight. If you've stepped outside the light, you've gotten off track, come back to the Lord. He'll forgive us of the sins that we ask to be forgiven of, those of which we repent. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation, do that as we stand and as we sing.